All right. How is everybody doing this morning? Good. Good. My name is Josh. I'm the, the preaching minister here at ACC. And we are working through our series that we're calling Kingdom. We are going through the book of Matthew, and we are looking at the themes of Jesus' kingdom. And this week we're going to be looking at chapter 10. I want to kind of give you a recap of what we've done so far. So in chapters 1 and 2, we, we learned about the birth of the king. We learned that Jesus has the right lineage and the, the ability to be the rightful heir to God's kingdom. Chapters 3 and 4, the father commissions Jesus through his baptism, and he goes out and he states his mission purpose. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. He gathers some of his disciples. In chapters 5 and 7, we get this manifesto of Jesus' values of the kingdom. And we can think of chapters 5 through 7 as the first major speech in the book of Matthew. There's five speeches. Think of them as five pillars that Matthew is weaving the life of Jesus around. And then in chapters 8 and 9... We were shown that not only does he have the lineage to be the king, not only does he have the disciples and the mission and the values, but he has the authority of the king. He has authority over death, he has authority over life, he has authority over disease and sickness and all things. He displayed all of his authority. And in chapter 9, we get a shift. And so I want to start there. I love if you have your Bibles or if you read the Bible on the Bible app or if you have our handouts. If you would open up to Matthew chapter 9, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pick up in verse 35. Matthew 9.35 says, Then Jesus went throughout all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the good news of the kingdom, and healing every kind of disease and sickness. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were bewildered and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Therefore, ask the Lord of the harvest to send out workers into his harvest-ready fields. And this is going to lead us into chapter 10. Remember I told you there were five big speeches. Chapter 10 is the second one. This is the second pillar of the book of Matthew. And here in chapter 10, we're going to learn just what it's going to take in order to be a part of this kingdom. But for the first time in the book of Matthew, Jesus is introduced to a problem. He's facing a problem. And it's not an authority problem, it's not a kingship problem, it's a logistics problem. Because even though Jesus is fully God, fully divine, when he walked the earth, he was still fully man, which meant he could only be in one place at one time. And so he's on a mission to change the world, and he needs workers. He's on a mission to clean up the mess of sin and darkness and all that stuff that happened way back in the book of Genesis. And he's decided that he's not going to do it alone. For us as Christians, we can understand that Jesus is inviting us to participate with him in the redemption of the world. 
We are the workers. We are the ones that he's sending out into the field. And so in this moment in history, here in the story, in Matthew chapter 10, he commissions his first followers, the 12. He does just that. So Matthew chapter 10, it says, Jesus called his 12 disciples and he gave them authority over unclean spirits so that they could cast out cast them out, and heal every kind of disease and sickness. Now, these are the names of the 12 apostles. First, Simon, called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, James, son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, Philip and Bartholomew, Thomas and Matthew, the tax collector, James, the son of Alphaeus and Thaddeus, Simon the zealot, and Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. Jesus sent these 12, instructing them as follows. Do not go on a road that leads to the Gentile regions, and do not enter any Samaritan town. Go instead to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. And as you go, preach this message. The kingdom of heaven is near. I want to pause for a moment and make sure we understand that this is a specific set of instructions to the twelve. So there are certain things that are specific to the 12. For for example, he tells the 12, only go to the Israelites. Don't preach the gospel to the Gentiles. That's specific for them, for their mission. And so we need to understand that not everything in here directly applies to us, but the principles behind his instructions are timeless. The mission statement that Jesus gives, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near, is timeless. By sending the twelve out directly to the nation of Israel, he's giving them a focus. He's giving them a group of people that need to hear this message right here and right now. And throughout history, throughout the history of the Old Testament, was leading up to this point where the nation of Israel needed to hear Jesus' message. And they were his priority. This whole kingdom thing, it's going to expand to the Gentiles eventually. But right now, he says, I want your focus and your energy to be on these people. And as we go out into the world, as we preach the gospel, I think we need to ask ourselves, do we have a focus? Do we have a specific group of people in mind that we want to go out and impact, that we want to go on mission for, or are we just wandering around aimlessly, throwing the gospel up against the wall and hoping something sticks? I think it would benefit us as a church to have that focus to identify who our lost sheep are in our community and to reach out to them and give them the good news. As individuals, we need to look around at the people in our lives and ask ourselves, who are the lost sheep in my life, specifically? Don't just say, I want to spread the gospel, I want to grow the kingdom, I want to... I want you to say, I want to spread the gospel to... Frank, who I work with, specifically him, because I know that he needs it. I want to spread the gospel to the people in our prison systems. I want to spread the gospel to people in our hospitals who are battling cancer. Because I think you'll find that when you focus your efforts, when you have a mission, when you're laser-focused, you're more effective at sharing the joy that you have received by following Christ.
Matthew chapter 10, verse 8. He goes on and he says, Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse lepers, cast out demons. Freely you received, freely give. And what we find is that when we're laser-focused, we're able to share that joy. We are able to freely give what we received. But it's not going to be easy. It's going to require dedication. Chapter, verse 9, he says, Do not take gold, silver, or copper in your belts. No bag for the journey or an extra tunic or sandals or staff, for the worker deserves his provisions. Whenever you enter a town or village, find out who is worthy there and stay with them until you leave. As you enter the house, greet them, those within it. And if the house is worthy, let your peace come upon it. But if it is not worthy, let your peace return to you. And if anyone will not welcome you or, your, or listen to your message, shake the dust off your feet as you leave that house or that town. Now again, these are specific instructions to the twelve. Nobody's telling you specifically that in order to preach the gospel, you need to get rid of all of your money and all of your clothes and all of your stuff and go out and only live with strangers. But the principle behind it is that we need to shed off anything that is hindering us from fulfilling the kingdom mission. Anything that is holding you back from living out God's will. I can't tell you what that is in your life. I know what it is for me. I know the things that I need to shed off. For you, maybe it, maybe it really is gold and silver. Maybe you have an attachment to money. Maybe it's a habit. Maybe it's the plans that you have for your life. And the things that you've been clinging on to that you just can't let go that's prohibiting you from going out and growing the kingdom. That's the, that's the kind of thing that you and God need to sit down together one-on-one -on -one and have a conversation about. And say, God, whatever this thing is in my life, I'm going to give it to you. I'm going to shed it off because it's holding me back from growing your kingdom. And the reason... The reason we need to shed off those things, the reason we need laser focus and mission, the reason we need to be dedicated to the kingdom like this is because the stakes are high. Verse 15, he says, I tell you the truth, it will be more bearable for the region of Sodom and Gomorrah on the day of judgment than for that town. Y'all know what happened at Sodom and Gomorrah? People died. We are talking about matters of life and death. When you go into surgery, we just prayed for a Kathy this morning. She's going into the ER. When you go into surgery, do you want the surgeon who just barely squeaked through medical school, who only does maybe one or two surgeries a month, but his real passion is selling real estate, and that's where his focus is, and he kind of does the surgery thing because he's got student loans he needs to pay for? Or do you want the surgeon who eats, sleeps, and breathes his profession? The one who put in the extra work, aced all of her classes, and, and when, when you go into the knife, you're like, she's the one, that's the one I want, that one right there. Because I know she's dedicated. That's who I want when I go into the knife. 
because it's a matter of life and death. Why should it be any different for us as Christians? We're talking about going into enemy territory, matters of life and death. Verse 16, he says, I am sending you out as sheep among wolves. So be wise as serpents and innocent as doves. Beware of the people because they will hand you over to the councils and flog you in their synagogues. And you will be brought before governors and kings because of me as a witness to them and to the Gentiles. Whenever they hand you over for a trial, do not worry about how to speak or what to say, for what you should say will be given to you at that time. For it is not you speaking, but the Spirit of your Father speaking through you. Brother will hand over brother to death, and a father his child. Children will rise against parents and have them put to death, and you will be hated by everyone because of my name. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. Whenever they persecute you in one town, flee to another. I tell you the truth, you will not finish going through all the towns of Israel before the Son of Man comes. That's heavy. Put yourself in their shoes. Imagine being those disciples, having this teacher, and then he tells you, by the way, all of this bad stuff's going to happen. You're going to be beaten, you're going to be flogged, you're going to be arrested. Now go, do it. That's heavy. He says, a disciple is not greater than his teacher, nor a slave greater than his master. It is enough for a disciple to become like his teacher and a slave like his master. If they have called the head of the house Beelzebul, how much worse will they call the members of his household? I want each and every one of you to be on mission for the Lord. And what you're going to find when you have that laser focus, when you have that person or that group of people in your life that you want to go after, when you shed off everything that is holding you back, once you recognize that you're dealing with matters of life and death, you're going to find out that virtually everything and everyone is going to be pushing against you. You're going to be swimming upstream the whole time. Because when you proclaim the kingdom, when you proclaim the values of Jesus, you'll come to realize that what you're doing is you're injecting truth into a world full of lies. Everything that we read in Jesus' first speech in the first pillar, chapter 5 through 7, if you haven't read that, go back and read it again. That's the truth. Those are the standards that Jesus gave us. That is the full truth that Jesus wants us to inject into the world, but the world doesn't like that truth. I don't know if you know this or not, but the idea that we should go and give up everything and focus on others and be selfless, it's not a very popular idea. The idea that we should be self-sacrificial and give up everything, people don't like that. The world is all about me, me, me. Get mine. Climb the ladder. Step on the little guy so that I can get mine before somebody else does. And we're up against powerful enemies. The entire world is going against what Jesus teaches. Think about this. 
you know that last year the credit card industry pulled in $175 billion, that's billion with a B, on the basis of buy, buy, buy. You want this thing, material, buy this thing now, put it on credit, you can have it later, you can pay for it later. Advertising is a $300 billion industry. Political advertising all alone is a $13 billion industry. All on the basis of vote for me, put your faith in me, put your salvation in me, I'll save you. Buy this thing, put your faith in something besides God. Put your faith in the world. When you're a kingdom citizen, when you're the worker that Jesus is sending out into the field, all of that stuff needs to play second fiddle, and the world doesn't like that. That's okay. Let them not like it. I don't really care if they don't like it. Stay the course. Verse 26. He says, do not be afraid of them. Don't be afraid of them. Don't be afraid of the world. For nothing is hidden that will not be revealed, and nothing is secret that will not be made known. What I say to you in the dark, tell in the light. And what is whispered in your ear, proclaim it from the housetops. Don't be afraid of those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Instead, fear the one who is able to destroy the body and soul, both the body and soul in hell. Okay, this is a hard verse. Because on the surface, it kind of seems like a scare tactic, doesn't it? It kind of seems like Jesus is saying, like, do what I say or go to hell. Like, ooh, okay. But you have to read the whole passage to get the full context, to understand what Jesus is saying here. You can't just stop there. Read verse 29. He says, aren't two sparrows sold for a penny? Yet not one of them falls to the ground apart from your father's will. Even all the hairs on your head are numbered. So don't be afraid. You are more valuable than many sparrows. The verse we read this morning, Psalm 139, he knows when you rise, he knows when you stand. He knows every hair on your head. God loves you. He cares about you. He knows every dream you've ever had, every sin you've ever committed, every doubt, every fear, everything about you, and he loves you. American Express doesn't love you like that. The Democrats and the Republicans don't love you like that. Facebook doesn't love you like that. Hollywood doesn't love you like that. Fox News and CNN don't love you like that. They don't care about you like God does. And as a side note, I've heard people say, yeah, well, that's why I'm voting for the third party. Third party doesn't care about you either. Sorry. They don't. They just want to use you to make money or gain power. They don't know every hair on your head, but God does. As Christians, we are called to go against the grain, to swim upstream, to be counter-cultural. And it's going to stir the pot. Verse 34, he says, Do not think 
that I have come to bring peace to the earth. I have not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I have come to set a man against his father, a daughter against his mother, a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law, and a man's enemies will be the members of his household. Whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me, and whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever does not take up his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds his life will lose it, and whoever loses his life because of me will find it. Swimming upstream requires sacrifice. It requires giving over to God every single aspect of your life. Not 51%, not 75%, not 99.999% of your life. No, all of it. Because from what we've read so far, God is inviting us to participate with him in the healing of the world. To go out into the world, into the fields as his workers. The harvest is plentiful. And he tells us if if we have that laser focus, if we have that direction, identifying the lost sheep and then going after them, he tells us that we need to throw off what is holding us back and rely on him because we're in for the fight of our lives. We as Christians are going against the grain on purpose and it's going to require sacrifice. Because Satan is against us, the world is against us, everything is against us. And that's not new. I, I get a chuckle. We were, we were driving through uh, into, to Cheyenne, Wyoming uh, a while back, and we stopped at this little store, and, and the lady there said, can you believe how bad the world has gotten these days? And I just got a chuckle, and I said, I don't think that's anything new. I don't think all of a sudden, in 2023, the world has just gone to pot. It's been that way since Rome. Before Rome, it was like that under Greece, and before Greece, it was like that under the Assyrians and the Babylonians, all the way to Cain and Abel. The world has always been against what Jesus teaches. Jesus has always been countercultural. That's not a bug in the system. That's a feature. That's on purpose. Jesus promised the 12 that they would have enemies on all sides, that they're going to be in for the fight of their lives, that they're going to have everything coming against us. And that's what we need to understand, too. We're at war. Side note, will somebody text or go get Richard from downstairs? We're at war, but I've noticed that as Christians, we don't act like we're at war. I've noticed that the church by and large, the universal, the big C church, we spend more time fighting and arguing with other Christians than we do growing the kingdom. We fight. 
We fight about stupid things. We argue with other denominational groups about this thing or that thing or how the music should be or where the pews should sit or what order of service you should do or whether you should do communion every Sunday or every other Sunday or all of these things. We're always bickering and fighting with other Christians. Y'all, we're already under fire from the outside. We cannot afford to crumble the church from the inside as well. We just can't afford it. With the stakes as high as they are, with the focus that we need to have, we cannot afford it. Verse 40. Jesus says, Whoever receives you receives me, and whoever receives me receives the one who sent me. Whoever receives a prophet in the name of a prophet will receive a prophet's reward. Whoever receives a righteous person in the name of a righteous person will receive a righteous person's reward. And whoever gives only a cup of cold water to these little ones in the name of a disciple, I tell you the truth, he will never lose his reward. It's called unity. That's called take away all of these debatable issues about the music and the chairs and the what kind of clothes the preacher should be wearing. Put all that stuff over here. Do you follow Christ? Yeah, I follow Christ. Cool. Do you believe the Bible's a word of God? I believe the Bible's a word of God. Cool, we're on the same page, aren't we? Do you believe that nobody comes through the Father except through the Son? I do too. I think we're on the same team. When it comes to the essentials, it sounds like we're on the same page. If you take nothing else away from this message, I hope you realize that Christ's words here in chapter 10 give you a sense of purpose. And I know that everybody in this room has priorities and there are things that are in their life that they're dealing with. I get it. Everyone here has money issues and family issues and health issues and work issues. Everyone here has got their own personal battles that they're dealing with, right? And maybe you're at this point where you're thinking, how can I be of value to Jesus' kingdom? What do I have to offer? Because this is such a big calling, I can't take this on. I've got bills to pay and a job to worry about, and I've got to put food on the table, and I'm dealing with my own internal, physical, mental, and emotional pain and grief and anxiety. I can't afford to go all in. I've got my stuff to worry about. I get it. I understand it. Let me tell you something. You feel like you can't afford to go all in for Jesus? I'm here to tell you, you can't afford not to go all in for Jesus. You're saying to yourself, I can't go out and help the lost sheep. When I'm a lost sheep myself, look around. You don't think Matthew felt like he was the lost sheep when he was sitting in his tax collector's booth, hated by everyone because he'd betrayed his brothers? You don't think he felt like he was a lost sheep and yet Jesus called him and said, follow me, and he got up out of the booth and he went. 
You don't think Peter and Andrew and James and John felt like they were lost sheep, overwhelmed trying to make a living catching fish, being taxed out the ears by the Romans? You don't think they felt like they had nothing to contribute? They weren't even scribes. They didn't even know. I don't even know if they knew how to read or write. Because by the way, most of the, even though Peter wrote a book, most of the time, those fishermen like that didn't even know how to read or write and they had a scribe who wrote for them and they transcribed it. It's not gospel truth, I'm just saying that's one of the things we've looked at is some of these guys didn't even know how to read or write. And they're like, what do I have to offer to the kingdom? Jesus called them. He said, stop being the lost sheep. Let me take you in and be your shepherd so that you can go out and shepherd others. If Jesus has called you, and if you're a Christian today, that means Jesus has called you. You've got a job to do. The fields are ready for harvest, and God is waiting for you to get to work and to participate with him in changing the world, in redeeming the world. Let's go to work. Start today. Will you pray with me? Father God, I thank you so much for encouraging us, for spurring us on, for giving us the motivation we need to go out and do work for your kingdom. God, I ask that you would be with me and every single other soul in this room, that you would give them the strength to get up out of their chair, to get out in the fields, and to go to work to grow the kingdom, to love sacrificially. I ask that you would help them to shed off whatever it is that's holding them back, to have that laser focus for the gospel message. And most of all, Father, I thank you so much for your son Jesus and the sacrifice that he made for us. And we pray all of these things in Jesus' precious name. And the church said, amen. amen. If you haven't been called, if you're not a follower of Jesus, I think today's a really good time to start. If you haven't signed up, if you haven't enlisted, what we're going to do right now is I'm going to sing a song of invitation. And I'm going to give everyone here the opportunity to, to join up. We're going to have... Uh, Ron Jones, he's one of our elders up here. He's going to be up front. And if you want to commit yourself to Jesus, now is the perfect time to do it.